welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Hello again, this is Pastor Derek, and I just wanted to jump in real quick before we get started on this week's installment of the Graceway Sermon Cast and give you as a listener kind of an update about what's going on in our season of transition in our ministry. Back in January, at the beginning of this year, uh, we decided as a church to begin joining in fellowship and holding uh, collaborative worship services with another church in our area, a church by the name of Living Hope Fellowship, where Chris Reber is the pastor. Uh, We have decided to do that through a season of transition within our ministry as we seek God's guidance for us in the next steps. And so over the course of that season, you're going to be hearing at times, Pastor Chris Reber will be bringing the message on our sermon cast, and then at other times you'll hear my voice along with some other guest speakers as well. Uh, So just wanted to let you know as a listener kind of what's going on. And so if you hear a different voice as you tune in, that's kind of what's going on. So um, as uh, I just said, this week is another installment where you'll hear Pastor Chris Reber as he brings a message, a very important message actually, on the subject of unity within the body of Christ. So I'm going to jump off of here and we'll get started with the message. continue sharing with you in a series that is the last one, I think, of the series. I mean, I'm looking back this week and realized I, I spent 12 sermons on this topic uh, that I felt like the Lord led us into. Uh, this, this particular topic tonight, still about that whole thing of I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, still learning. You know, if you think you do know, then you don't know as you ought to know. That's what it says in the book of Corinthians. So sometimes we get caught up in feeling like we understand something and I really believe once we get to that place in life we're sliding down a slippery slope we ought to always have that attitude of learning and growing and hearing the Holy Spirit lead us this might shock you maybe this has happened to you but it certainly happened to me in my walk with the Lord when I was younger you know and I know I still got a ways to go but when I was younger I mean there was a lot of things I thought I understood real clearly that from then till now has changed has that happened to anybody else you know, some of y'all, boy, y'all had it straight from the get-go. I'm, I'm impressed. But, uh, you know, I can't say that, you know. I, and I, I really am aware, as honestly as I can speak to you, I'm aware that it's probable, it's likely, that as I continue to grow in the Lord, that the Lord will straighten me out some more. Give me more insight, more understanding than I've had to this point. And we have to have an open mindset like that or, or else... We won't really be listening. I'm going to say a phrase that's going to sound a little bit awkward if you, if you don't pay attention to it. But if you really pay attention to it, you realize it has to be true. I learned this in Ohio when I was doing a study on the whole idea of listening and listening to God. And I came across this guy that wrote this phrase. He said, a person is not truly listening unless they're willing to consider that they are wrong. I want you to think about that. Think about that in all the aspects that you think you know what you know. (laughs) A person is not truly listening unless they're willing to consider 
that they're wrong. I didn't say that they're willing to admit right off the bat that they're wrong. Because you might not be, right? You hope you're not, right? <laughs> but if I'm going to be really objective and open. Now there's some things about that that we get concretely that we feel like we understand without a shadow of a doubt. And we stand there. We talked about that last week a little bit. About those basic things of, of faith in Christ that are non-negotiable for us. But beyond that, we ought to understand the scripture speaks about the reality that there are many things that are disputable matters. There are many things that the body of Christ has been trying to get figured out for 2,000 years. That's why we got so many denominations. There's many things that we in life, day unto day, begin to learn, right? Every day we're learning and learning and learning. And so we want to walk in that attitude. So as I was thinking about this wrapping up message on this issue, this is what I'm thinking about. I didn't know that my later years could be my greater years. Hmm. Think about that for a second. I, I was listening to some uh, Bible study discussion online a couple weeks ago, and Francis Chan, anybody ever heard of him? Okay, a lot of people have heard of him. He's a pretty well-known name in the, in the Christian circles these days. And Francis Chan was responding to a guy that was interviewing him on some questions, and, and as they were talking... Uh, Francis Chan made this quick statement that I thought, well, yeah, that is the way we all think. He said, you know, back when I was in my heyday, that's all he said. Yeah, that's, that's what stuck with me when he said that. Back when I was, as I was preparing this week, back when I was in my heyday, who defines that? What caused him to think a certain time was his heyday? Who qualifies what your heyday is? You know, but don't we think that way sometimes though? Especially as we get older, we look back and we think when we had the strength of our youth, when we were doing these great things, you know, when we were, you know, more with it, I guess. <laughs> you know, as it relates to athletics, I had heydays way better than today, right? I mean, we can go into so many other concepts. But when you really break down to this concept of usefulness to God, of relationship to God, should we ever think in terms of there was a heyday? Shouldn't we always be thinking of we're walking into the heyday? Somehow or another walking closer to him, walking in deeper relationship. And in the process of all that, our later years could be our greater years. And maybe it doesn't look like it's always looked. How I many know that throughout life God's changed some gears on you sometimes? Puts you in different directions sometimes. But he's still at work. Still doing marvelous things. So our later years could be our greater years. Let me ask you a question. When you really think about it and get down to it, what is the purpose of your life? You know, think about how God made you and what he's made you to believe. I mean, for the believer, isn't it really that we would somehow be useful to the Lord? That we would somehow... Honor him through our life. I mean, isn't that really why he made us and brought us in relationship to him? I mean, yeah, there's all those perks that we get in the relationship, but doesn't God somehow have a plan behind it all? That he wants to somehow use us in the blessing of life of another? That's why you hear me at the end of the service every week, somehow in our closing prayer, I'm going to reference this idea that as we go, that we might be useful to the master under every good work. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like this idea of being a lump on a log that has no purpose. You know? 
Did you know there's a purpose? Well, I can chase that for a while. There's a purpose in the lump on a log. It makes that wood a little bit pretty, doesn't it? Well, let me just stop there. I'm going to chase that rabbit. <laughs> but think about this idea about being useful to God, being able to fulfill the purpose. I mean, often we feel we need to do all we can while we are at our best. Who defines that? What is your best? When do you get to your best? I mean, maybe, maybe those days are yet to come. What have been your greatest days? What are those great days? Why do we call those days our great days? I'm just thinking out loud. I do that. You know, this is the way I am all the time. If you want to know what's going on in my head, just walk with me. As it gets out there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not one of those guys. I don't have the best filter in the world. It comes here and comes out here too often. <laughs> don't aim in that, Connie. Don't need anything like that. Let me ask you to do something. Define great for me. Help me with that for a second. Define great. What is great? Okay, something you find pleasure in? What is? What do you think about being great? Who, who defines that? How do you define that? I mean, in our mind's eye in the world, don't we? I mean, people will think people that have left a major mark on society are somehow the great ones, right? Somebody that put together some big business and became known. We talk about the titans of America who helped build in, in, you know, all the superstructure that we enjoy. Today. These were the great guys. Were they really? By the way, who influenced those guys to be who they are? Their parents and maybe a thousand others. You know, one of the most deepening thoughts I've had in the last few years came from a guy in a book that I read, Henry, Henry Drummond, in his sermon about uh, the uh, discipled Christian life. And he makes that comment about every person you see is a result of the amalgamy of influence. The amalgamy of influence is a concept that says when you look at somebody, you don't see that person. You see a thousand people in that person. Every impact that's happened in their life that God brought into their existence for the purpose of making them who they are. And the titans of industry would not be who they were had it not been from others influencing them. So who is really the great one? Was it the guy who built the buildings and built the railroads? Or was it the guy who influenced the one who built the buildings and built the railroads? I mean, it's a debate we might have. I mean, Paul had to deal with this with the early church, right? They're all talking about who's the most important. And then he gets into the explanation in 1 Corinthians 12 about the parts of the body. And the ones that you think are the most important may not be the most important. But maybe the least ones that you think are the least of importance are the greatest of importance. He's trying to help us get a hold of that idea that we don't necessarily in our human mental framework get to define what greatness really is. That's not our job. Our job is simply about being willing to listen and obey, as Pastor Derek said. That we might just be willing to fulfill, I like that phrase in, in the Old Testament that David talks about with his son, fulfill the purpose of God in your generation. Well, what is my purpose? God gets to define that, not you. Your issue comes back to just whether or not you'll be an obedient servant of the Lord and be useful to him. Well, 
isn't it when you get down to it, the purpose of God for us, isn't it really be about um, being intent, intentional on showing the godly character that God brings into our life or, or having a personal impact for the cause of Christ? Or I'm just iter iterating some of these concepts. Do you know that God can do some of the most fantastic miracles through just faithfulness and consistency? Just through faithfulness and consistency. And through those things, he can do phenomenal miracles in the life of a person. I mean, you can think about that in Moses and Abraham and Apostle John. We're going to come back and reference them in a minute. But there's just a few out there. Notice I mentioned all those guys in the times that it happened. They were old people. I'm starting to be one of those. You know, I'm getting closer and closer. I know I'm still a long way from it, but I'm getting closer and closer. So I've seen a lot of smiles. Y'all don't need to be smiling like that, acting like you know that's true. <laughs> but as you get older, you begin to realize, you know, I had this much time, and now I've got this much time. I mean, some of y'all are in the camp with me, and you understand. I mean, it was a day you never thought about having just 25, 30 years left. That's if I get to be 90. You know? You don't think about that. I was watching a video this week of a lady 105 years old. And basically asking, you know, everybody wants to know, well, how, what's the most important thing? And she was talking about a relationship with God. Having peace with God is the most important thing and how that comes through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that in a second. But, but as we think about our years in this life, especially as you have more behind you than you are likely to have ahead of you, you begin to think about whether or not I can still be useful to God. And what will those years look like? And I'm here to tell you, your later years could be your greatest years. It's going to have some contingencies on that, whether they will be or not. I mean, I've known individuals, not just the Bible people. I, have you ever noticed in Christianity we do this? We, we look at the Word of God and we recognize there are tremendous biblical figures in the Word of God that God has used dramatically in the world and then we have made them our prototypes. And that's good, and it's bad. <laughs> it's good in that we recognize all that God done through these people, did through these people. <laughs> English wasn't my best suit, I guess. <laughs> but then it's bad in that all the people that don't match up just like them end up feeling like they're less than what they ought to be. For example, you ever notice most of these people are type A people? What if you're not a type A person? Then you feel like you never measure up to that type A person. The reality is that we have in the Bible all these examples of people that God used, and they're using an example just from the standpoint to say that God can use you too. Not necessarily to say that you're supposed to be just like one of them. You're supposed to be who God made you to be. And so I see that there are some people God's still using today that's not Moses or Abraham or the Apostle John. You know, and many of you heard, you know I'm going to reference some of these people. You've heard them from me a hundred times. My granddad is going to be at the top of the list. I'm going to say some things about him in a minute. My, Miss Billy is at the top of the list for me. You know, just to, they, they should have made a video of her on, on YouTube. Maybe I'll do that for her someday. <laughs> you know, I think about Miss Gladys. The last, you know, season of her life, stepping out to do 
pretty challenging things for a lot of people. Your later years can be your greater years. Psalm 92, 12 through 14 is a passage here that, that lets us know, uh, you know some great things about how God wants to work in our lives. And in this passage, it's really a, a text that you see where uh, the glory of God is being expressed in the first part of the chapter. And, and then after that, you see how God wants to use people in relationship to him and the struggle in humanity to do that. But then it comes back around to this again, how God gets glory through the life of an individual. And so we're focusing on that a little bit, even as you get to those later years. Let's read these verses together up through verse 15. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will stand, or they will yield fruit, excuse me, they will yield fruit in old age. Hmm, not just in young age. Wait a minute, I thought a, I thought a fruit tree, once it got older, didn't yield fruit. This is what it's saying. Yield fruit in its old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright. See, there's a purpose. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's come back to this thought a little bit and look at a few things together here that this passage reminds us of when, it, when we're thinking about this idea of usefulness to God and the reality that those days are ahead of us in my later years. And you know, here's another thing. Do you know what your later years are going to be? We don't, do we? I mean, maybe I'm in my later years. We just don't know. So the issue becomes about being focused on being useful right here, right now. <gasps> okay? So that I'm, I'm giving myself to all that God would want me to be right where I am. One of the things we see in this passage is what is contingent on you being useful to God at all, or that one of the contingencies on you being useful to God at all is whether or not you're even in him or not. I mean, in this first verse, you find out, back here at verse 12, go back to that. The righteous man, how do you get to be a righteous man? Who is the righteous man? I mean, the word of God that I read says there's none what? Righteous, no, not one. You say, well, I'm a righteous man. Well, not in and of yourself, you're not. But there's some good news for us, right? Spurgeon, a great preacher of old, used to tell all of his preacher boys in his past, or preacher's college that he started, every sermon ought to have a beeline to the cross. Here it is, right here, right now. Here's the beeline to the cross. Your only hope of righteousness is in Christ Jesus. And that very first point we better get a hold of when we're talking about being useful to God in our later years being our greater years has to hinge on this issue. Where am I with my father? Where am I with the one who brought me into relationship with him? Am I confident about that relationship in Christ Jesus? Do I know my only righteousness is in him? I mean, that's the beginning of it, right? That's where the relationship starts. In Romans 5, 19... For as though the one man's dis through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the one. Hey, it, Jesus said it himself. Paul repeated it here. The one way to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the one, the many will be made righteous. I'm so glad I'm not dependent on my own righteousness to be useful to God. Because... I don't have it in and of myself. 
But once I became aware that my righteousness is in Christ Jesus, I then began building my life on that. And that's where we got to start. You know what happens when you start building your life on the dependency of the righteousness of Christ? Did you, I mean, you probably had the same experience as me. A lot of things started getting cleaned up in your life, didn't it? I mean, not as though you earned any righteousness because you didn't, but his righteousness became your righteousness. You became committed to wanting to walk in his life way, not your own life's way. And then you began to have a testimony that was more righteous than it was before. <laughs> but it's not your righteousness we're depending on here, right? It's his righteousness. You know, we're finding the Old Testament, and we see it again reiterated for us in Galatians 3, 6, that Abraham was this guy that kind of got a hold of that. You know, he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He had the ability to understand anything of any eternal significance that happens in me is not going to be because of me. If God says he can do something, I can believe he can do something. If God says he can make me righteous in Christ Jesus, I can believe he can make me righteous in Christ Jesus. If God says that he can change my life from what it was, and this is one of the things, I'm going, can I get on my soapbox for a minute? Well, let me just reiterate. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. <laughs> this whole idea that when people come to Christ that so many embrace and say, well, I know I gave my heart to Jesus, but I just, I just can't help, and then they fill in the blank. Or I, this is just who I am because, you know, that's my personality. Or this is because whatever else we fill in the blank. You know what we do when we act like that? We are selling God short. We are saying God is strong and big enough to save the world from their sin, but he's not strong and big enough to help clean up my life. <laughs> he, he's quite capable. If it's not happening, it's usually because there's a roadblock in the way. Guess who it is? My own stubborn will. So what i got to do is get back to the place that I say I depend on his righteousness. Now I'm going to be walking in your righteousness. And it's, now I'm not talking about earning your salvation here at all. That's not it at all. I'm talking about walking in the salvation that he's afforded to us in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I think if we can't get that foundational thing correct, you're never going to have later years that are more useful to God. <laughs> but if you can get that settled and you've got a foundation to build on, hey, young people here, that's the foundation you better be working on right now. Making sure I'm walking in dependence on Christ. I've given my heart to him. I trust his righteousness. And now I'm going to be walking in submission to that righteousness in my life. And Lord, I'm going to alter whatever I want to do based on what you want me to do. And I'm going to trust you for strength to make those changes because guess what? I can't do it. But you know what? If you, if you walk in that kind of understanding, the second thing will happen for us to be able to walk in the righteousness that God would want us to and therefore be somehow useful to him under every good work and be somehow in a place that our later years, whatever those be, can be our greater years. And that next idea is that God can, do you know God can overcome your past and still use you greatly? Do you know the devil will lie to you? He will tell you you are a dirty, rotten sinner and unuseful to God. I'm going to shock you. Do you know what? He tells preachers that too. 
He tells your elders that too. Any of you elders ever heard that from the devil? <laughs> yeah. He tells everybody he can that so that you will be useless. <laughs> and you've got to understand that that's a lie from the pit of hell. And that God is capable to overcome every problem you've ever had in your life. He can, he can use you in spite of your baggage. <laughs> in spite of the things you've gone through. He can overcome those things. Yeah, I love this passage we looked at. That's what this passage is telling us. Look at verse 13 and 14 of it. God planted in the, uh, planted in the house. Of, let me back up to verse 12. Let's see, is it starting there? Yeah, it's starting there. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. A cedar's a big old tree. That's what they had to build with there. That's the best they had. That was the stoutest wood they could get a hold of. And God takes that cedar of Lebanon that was growing out in the world somewhere, <laughs> okay? Just minding its own business, growing like a tree. And takes that and then grafts it, so to speak, <laughs> okay? You see some biblical analogies there. Grafts it, so to speak, into the household of God. And now it's become one of the pillars of the temple. What was outside the house of God is now inside the house of God, regardless of what was going on with that cedar up to that point. Maybe there's a few birds been dumping on that cedar. Like the world dumps on a few people. But God takes that and brings it into the household of God, and now it becomes one of the pillars in the household of God. That God could use it greatly, and they will flourish in the courts of our God, those cedars will. So it doesn't matter where you've been and what you've gone through. God can somehow now use you in a way that's more phenomenal than you could ever imagine. Don't sell God short. <laughs> and don't say it's too late. Come back to that. Remember Abraham, we was talking about a minute ago, believed God is righteousness to him. You know Abraham saw some pretty cool things happen when he was an old, old man. You know the story, him and... Him and Sarah, you know, they weren't spring chickens, right? When God started the ball rolling of how he would fulfill the promise to his people. Yeah, we're the cedars that God's brought into his household to use us in a way that will honor him. It's you, it's me. Been harvested from a pretty ungodly circumstance. Yeah, you and me. You say, well, I'm glad it wasn't me. I was raised in the church. You were probably... Tougher to harvest than the rest of them. Because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that sometimes. That's not necessarily good baggage. A lot of mindset that you're the, you're the choicest of God's good things, right? And God has to get you to the place that you learn true submission, true dependence. To a place that he can say, hey, yeah, now I can use it, even you. And then he begins to use people in mighty ways when they get to that place. What a blessing that we've been brought into the family of God, the house of the Lord, and made us useful. Look at Moses' life for a second. I think about him. You know, out in that messy world. Started out, I know, as a baby in a river. But hey, he's got nothing to build with yet, right? He's a baby. <laughs> but then he's raised up in this Egyptian world. He probably thinks he's the best thing that's come along since sliced bread. I mean, he's the prince among Pharaoh's house. 
thinks he can kind of take things into his own hand. Feels like he can take over anytime he wants and does so and gets himself in a mess and gets kicked out, right? This is a really short version. <laughs> and in the context of that, he's out in the wilderness and begins to realize he is not all that that he thought he was. <laughs> And then comes to a relationship with God. And in the context of that, God begins to use him. And oh, by the way, he's still a young man, right? No. No. He's an older guy. And he comes back and God begins to use him in a mighty way. And you know the story. I'm just, just trying to get our mind wrapped around this idea that God still wants to use me in life. And nurturing with that, don't try to define what you think that greatness is. Because it may be that God's using you as an amalgamy of influence on somebody that he plans to use in a massive way. Have you had a part in that if that happens? You really have. God's had that part through you. Everybody knows the story of, you know, Billy Graham and Mordecai Ham, right? Mordecai Ham was just an old country itinerant preacher. What's that mean? He's just running around places preaching. And as he's running around places preaching, he ends up preaching a, a revival where Billy Graham happened to live. And now look at the impact Billy Graham's had for the cause of the gospel. But very few people, unless they've done some history or listened to a preacher talk about it, know who's Mordecai, who Mordecai Ham is. A lot of people know Billy Graham's name, right? So God has great things that he might want to do through us. He can use you. Look at uh, Exodus 7, 6 through 9 here for a second. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83. I love that God gives us the numbers on this. Lest you think you're done. 80 and 83 when they stood before Pharaoh. And what do they have ahead of them? Now they're standing at Pharaoh, but what's ahead of them to come? 40 years. 40 more years. Oh, and by the way, neither one of them ever made a mistake during that 40 years, did they? Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> they made some big-time blunders. But God still somehow was able to use them in their moments of coming back to God in submission and saying, God, hey, I made a mistake. And God said, well, I'm not surprised. Let's straighten that out. Now maybe I can use you again. And he does. Wow. You know, by the end of that, 120 years old. If they're 40 years in the wilderness, and Moses was 80 before they left, that puts him 120 by the time they enter the promised land. Your later years could be your greater years. What's God got in store? You know, the attitude has to be, God, help me lay the right foundation now built on the righteousness of Christ Jesus. God, help me know as I'm built on that that you can use anything. Thank you for bringing me as a cedar out in the world into being a pillar in the house of God. But then lastly, I would say this. Don't ever lose this concept. If you're still loving God, and I say that cautiously because I think God uses vessels unto honor. That's what he wants. He wants to use a clean vessel in his house. So it all ends up being whether or not we're in submission to him, right? I mean, Aaron's best day was not when he built the calf, right? That wasn't his best day. 
Aaron's best days was when he was walking in submission to God and fulfillment to what God called him to be as the right-hand man of Moses. And God constantly used him in that way. When we're walking in those days of submission and loving God, we're at a place that God can use us greatly without a shadow of a doubt. In verse 14 here, we're reminded of that of our text in chapter, uh, there you go. And they will yield, who's they? Those cedars that God planted in the household of God? Us. And they will yield fruit in old age. Do you think God puts stuff like that in his word by accident? I don't think God does anything in his word by accident. Do you think God knows that as we get a little older, we begin to think that maybe we're wrapping up and maybe God won't use us as much as he used to use us? Or maybe we've got, you know, the best days are behind. Maybe our heydays are gone. He wants us to know they're not. They're yet before us. Let me ask you something. Is there any sap in your, in your twig? Are you still green? Or when you get bent, do you break? You see, the, the, the awareness of life in you is when you're aware that you're still pliable. You're still moldable. You're still usable to God in that respect. You've not got this attitude that nobody else has a clue but me. <laughs> You've got this attitude that, God, here I am. I'm still a lump of clay in the potter's hands. I will forevermore be a lump of clay in the potter's hands. He can remold me, refashion me, do whatever he wants with me, any old day, any old way he chooses. He calls the shots, not me. And as I walk in that understanding, I walk in a place where I can still be useful to the master. My later years can be my greater years. I can still bear fruit as an old fruit tree. And since I don't know what my later years are, I better be starting to think that as a young man. Or I'm going to miss the opportunity. We don't all know our days, do we? God knows them. He's got them numbered. We got to walk in the understanding that we don't. You know, is that it's a true thing as you think about it. When you talk about uh, uh, life with people, and especially young young people, don't believe they're ever going to die. They don't think about it. I'm not trying to be morbid here. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to be real. That we understand that every day ought to be lived as unto the Lord, knowing that the days ahead could be the greatest days. Well, we got to determine. Is there still life in me? Am I still pliable? Am I still somehow aware of God's presence in my life and I want to be useful to him? If I can just hang on to that, then God can somehow produce fruit in my life. And then there's some people that I mentioned earlier that I think have gotten a hold of this and understood that. Maybe they didn't in the context of a sermon like this, but they just knew they could be who God made them to be. And I think there's a big key right here. One of the reasons I think that we don't get useful in our later years is we begin to think that God's using us because of our great abilities. And that he's going to then do some kind of great thing based on those great abilities. You know the phrase, God's not interested in your, avail your ability. He's interested in your availability, right. So we've got to nurture that and hang on to that in the context of who we are. And here's a shocker. 
Did you know God made you who you are not by accident? I mean, did you know that God, who I believe is a sovereign God, he could interrupt anything that's happened in your life in any way he wants? I'm not, a, I'm not a predestination of your salvation guy, but I am a sovereignty of God reality guy. And so God can change it. And his foreknowledge, he knew everything was happening. I, when I got a hold of this after my salvation, before that I was mad at God about letting my dad die, and later finding out that God could have stopped it but didn't because of some things he could use in my life, it renovated my life. I mean, the thing for me, you've heard me say before, is because I knew somehow he would take that and nurture my heart to be given toward God as my father, that it was done in a way that couldn't have been done any other way with him, in, with him still in the world. For me, because he knows us, right? And so the sovereignty of God's at work in all that's going on, and here's the shocker. God's not trying to make you somebody else. Isn't it weird? We all think that we're supposed to be like somebody else. I mean, I reference that in this idea of couples. You know, we get married, we love the attraction of an opposite, but then we get together and we try to change each other the rest of our life. You know, if she would just get a hold of this and be like me. If he would just turn, you know, turn around on this issue and be like me, you know. And on and on we could go. Hey, listen, is that not happening in the church? Happens in the church all the time. What God wants us to do is to not, I'm not saying that the ungodliness of your life that God is embracing and saying that's exactly who you are and I want you to be that. That's not it at all. We're going to be committed to his righteousness and his godliness. But in the context of that and who he's made you to be, he's not trying to change that. He wants to use the unique you just like you are. All the gifts and abilities that he's put together in you. And in the context of that, he's got some great things ahead. His definition of greatness. So what, how do I get there? Well, I think somehow we get to this place of learning to be who we are comfortably and just saying, God, here I am. Use me. Have you ever noticed that that's, that's all Isaiah was about? Isaiah didn't, when God said, I need to find somebody, Isaiah didn't go up and say, God, hey, I'm your best bet right here. No, I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, but God, here I am. Would you use me? And then God's get, God gets busy with those people. You know, uh, a lot of times y'all have heard me reference my granddad. You might be shocked to know this. My granddad was a really quiet man. He was never boisterous. He was never the one seeking to be in the middle of things. He didn't want recognition from anybody. He just, he just loved people. He was just kind of consistent with that. He just loved people. He just showed me a consistent love for God in his life, and that's what impacted me. I didn't, wanna, I didn't grow up wanting to be a banker. That's what he was. I didn't grow up wanting to be on the Chamber of Commerce in Litchfield, Kentucky. <laughs> But man, I wanted to grow up and be like him, who was just consistent and loving, consistent and serving, consistent in kindness toward others. And it made me think, I want to be like that. I think of people, again, like Miss Gladys, who, who wasn't afraid to try stuff late in life. 
I want to do that. That doesn't mean she was a perfect person. I didn't hear an amen back here. So was she perfect, Claire? Pretty close, huh? <laughs> okay. But she wasn't afraid to try something at a time in life when people would say, oh, don't try that. Or Miss Billy, I love, y'all hear me talk about her so much. I just love her so much. Man, I meet with this 94-year-old lady in a nursing home who almost every week says to me, I just want to do what God wants me to do. What's that look like for a 94-year-old person in a nursing home bedridden? Can't get out unless somebody helps her out. And she starts telling me about the people she's praying for, the girls that come in and out of her room, and she asks them about their kids, and they get all excited, you know. I go into that place, and I'll run past the, the people that work in there, and they'll say, hi, how you doing? Who you come to see? Miss Billy. Oh, I just love Miss Billy. And on and on they go. She's just being who she is. She's not trying to become Billy Graham. She's just being who she is and asking God, God, would you just help me somehow to be useful to you today? And I just tell her every time I'm there, Miss Bill, you have no idea how much God is using you right here in this place, showing the love of God. And God can use us too. God can use us when it looks impossible, like Apostle John on an island kind of kicked out to there, you know, and old age, and oh, I guess I'm washed up now. And God gives him a revelation, and he writes it down. And, man, we're still figuring it out, right? And we're still just all in awe of what God was telling him, and God's letting him know how the end game comes. And can you imagine at that age in life? And yet God's still useful, continuing to declare his truth. Look at verse 15 as we wrap it up. As you look at these verses, to declare, this is what we're about. No matter what age you're in, this is how you get to be involved in greatness. Pretty simple. Declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. And I'm just going to stay focused on that. And whatever arena he puts me in, I'm going to stay focused on that. What does that mean? We all got to be a preacher? No. How do you declare it? A lot of ways. A lot of ways to declare it. Some of you, God wants to be shouting it on the mountaintop. That's okay. Some of you, God just wants you to be that still, small voice that speaks powerfully through godly character and just faithful Christian witness. Can I? Can I well, I can. I will. I'm going to close this way. He ain't through yet. Are you breathing? Somebody check John. Is he breathing? Yeah, he is. Okay. <laughs> Are you breathing? Yeah. If you're breathing, he ain't through yet. Do you think that God could never use you in a great way? Well, let him define that. And then let me tell you, yes. He can. Your greater days are yet to come. As you walk in submission and love relationship with God. Let him define what that looks like. Let me just ask you this. Are you willing to augment your plans and who you are? That he might do what he wants to do? If, you just, if, you, if your answer to that is yes. I promise you your later days are yet. Your greater days are yet to come. Your later days are going to be great.
If, if just that simple thing is true, I'm willing to follow him and I'm willing to augment who I am for his plan as he shows me. And just let him paint the picture. It's going to be a beautiful, large, giant mural of some kind. But that's it. It's mural, mural, big picture <laughs> to the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, we're all... Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.